Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. If you ever wondered how, how, how in the world did this message of Jesus survive? How did it, how did it survive Rome? How, how did it survive first century Judaism? How did it survive 70 AD where ancient Judaism came to a halt when the temple was destroyed and the, the Jews were all thrown out of Jerusalem? How did this little fledgling group of people that believed this ridiculous story that a man died and rose again, how did it survive? 2,000 years ago, a handful of people poured into the streets of Jerusalem just two months after the resurrection. And this is what they said. Jesus, who was crucified right outside these walls, he rose from the dead. They told everyone that they were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of a Savior. And the city of Jerusalem was turned on its head. Now, this new movement, and that's what the church is, and they were called the way, it messed with the delicate balance that was between Rome and the Jews. And this, mo- this new movement threatened that balance, and it created chaos between Rome and the temple rulers. R- Rome had this way of ruling their world by giving a little bit of power to the Jews. Now Rome faced this new movement called the way. In Acts, we, we, read, we read about an organized persecution breaking out. This group of people had a leader come on the scene named Saul. Now, we, we might know him as the Apostle Paul. But before he met Jesus, he was Jesus' number one critic. And he led this widespread persecution of the church for three years. This persecution, now, it may have been the best thing for them, <laughs> Because while they were running for their lives, they told the story of Jesus. And three years after this persecution started, Saul, who'd become Paul, had this incredible conversion. He became an advocate for this new movement. He, he spread this message around the no world. Instead of persecuting these gatherings, he started these gatherings. And now, now Paul is telling his story of how God changed his life. And he, he did something new. He, he started to take this message outside of Palestine to people who weren't Jewish. He started to take this message to the known world and everywhere he went, he created these little ecclesias everywhere. Now, he wasn't building buildings. He was building on this movement. These people who Paul came into contact with started to think God has done something unusual. God has answered the question What do we do with our broken rules? What do we do about our sin? How do you have peace with God when you know you haven't lived up to his law? But while Paul is traveling and starting these movements in Jerusalem, the hub of everything Christian and everything Jewish, a controversy starts brewing. Now, this controversy is the reason that some of your friends have dropped out of church. It's, it's why people believe in God but think, I, I don't know if I ever want to be a part of a church. And don't forget, this is, this is only 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. Paul, Paul has just finished his first missionary journey where, where he is spreading the gospel to all these non-Jewish people. And here's the controversy. Here's, here's the questions that they were asking. Who should be a part of the church? How many rules do you have to keep? 
How holy do you have to be? How much of your former life do you have to clean up before you can belong? Because now you have a group of Jewish people who had the Ten Commandments and the 600 plus rules they'd been brought up to keep. They believed that Jesus or Christianity was just an extension of Judaism. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So they assumed for you to be a follower of Jesus first, first you had to become Jewish, a follower of Moses. And then, then, then once, once you do that, then you can become a follower of Jesus, a Christian. Then the, then, then the leaders in Jerusalem are sending people out to say, hey, wait, wait, slow down. They're, they're following Paul. They're telling them, hey, Paul, Paul didn't tell you everything. You're, you're missing a few things. Memorize some things. Jump through some hoops. Clean up your act. Stop some of your nasty Gentile habits. And then, then you can become a church person like us. And this is the reason that many people jump away from church. They, they get the feeling that they weren't good enough to be a church person. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years, if you've been a church person like me for a long time, we may have fallen into this without even knowing it. You can feel this tension. The fact that a part of Christianity is a moral standard, part of Christianity is an ethical standard. In, in the New Testament, we're told, treat people the right way. It's a moral imperative. But on the other hand, there's this great message of grace and forgiveness. Often, often the local church has the truth of the gospel. Here's, here's what's right. Here's what you should do. But it often comes into conflict with the grace of the gospel. And when there's conflict, church people become really weird. When there's conflict, people start building walls so they don't, we don't want to feel like this again. Sometimes we say, if you want to be a part of the church, here's a list of things that you have to do first. Here, here's something so amazing. I can't, I can't pretend to fully understand. When Jesus did his ministry, Jesus was a holy God in a human body interacting with sinners. Now, for those of us who grew up with this, we, we think well, that's, that's easy to understand. But we forget the awesomeness of that. Up to this point, this had never happened before. <laughs> well, we just breezed through the first 14 chapters of, of the letter of Acts. But now let's look at the first church business meeting. They, they, they wrestle with what we've been talking about, the, the questions that we've been raising. Like, how good do you have to be to get in? <laughs> if you want to follow along today, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. You can turn there now if you'd like. Let's pick up our story in verse 1. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. One. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. I probably go, well, wait, wait, uh, unless you have a surgery, you, you can't be a Christian? <laughs> uh, and all the guys are saying, uh, wait, Paul did not tell us that part. <laughs> what are you saying? We are saying you cannot be Christian until you're Jewish. Well, the new members class all of a sudden just became women. <laughs> the men are outside in the parking lot. They're saying, you go, you go in, honey. I love Jesus, but I've got to think about this thing. And we read this verse and we think, go to the next verse. But think about this. This, this is serious business. This is what they thought. They thought you had to join the Moses Club before you could join the Jesus Club. 
The drama continues. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. <laughs> On one side, Paul's saying, this is simple. Just accept Jesus. But on the other side, the, the men from Judea were following behind Paul and saying, wait, Paul, he didn't tell you the whole thing. And they both realized they, they need to get this straightened out because they're sending mixed messages. Paul shows up and he gives this report. This is what he says. I'm traveling all around and everywhere I go, there are Gentiles who are embracing the message of Jesus. We've been starting these churches. We've been starting these movements just like Peter and John did 20 years ago. But we have a problem. I haven't been telling them that they have to be a Moses follower before they become a Jesus follower. We've, we've got to sort this out. Verse 5. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. Well, let's pause there for a minute. Let me tell you who these people are. These Pharisees are people who have joined the way. They've joined this movement. They believe that Jesus has a plan for people but they also can't give up everything that they grew up with. They, they can't give up on the law of Moses and they're struggling. They ask, don't others have to act like us to be a part of us? They insist the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. You know, just so you know, this goes beyond circumcision. For us Gentiles, when we think law, we think the Ten Commandments. But that's not what they're talking about. They, the, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament that they wanted these new converts, these new Gentile converts to follow. And here's what these guys are saying. Paul, Paul, you need to go back and teach them to follow the 613 laws. You know them well. You know, they need to dress different. They need to eat different. different. And once they've, once they've got all that figured out, then, then they can be a part of the church. And here's where we're going. Because sometimes we struggle with the rules we grew up with too. If you've been a part of the church for more than 10 years, this kind of thinking creeps into all of us. We think we're so open-minded, but if we're not careful, we all settle into our version of Christianity, don't we? I, maybe you go on vacation, and one Sunday you decide to go to church, and as you pass by the front doors, you see a group of people smoking, and you're so grateful that these people get to hear the message of Jesus, praying that they'd come to know Jesus only to find out one of them that you saw smoking is playing on the stage, playing drums on the stage and is a deacon in the church. <laughs> we're not careful. If we're not careful and others don't fit into our version of Christianity, we become a little pharisaic. And this is what's happening in our story. After much discussion, Peter, the, the president of this whole movement, gets up and addresses them. This is, this is 20 years after he started this movement. And he says, God knows people's hearts in verse 8 and confirms that he accepts Gentiles. You, you know the Gentiles, the, the lawbreakers who don't know about the 613 laws. But he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just like he gave him to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Some who are listening might be thinking, it's true, he purified their hearts, but They've got some nasty Gentile habits. They don't eat right. They're offensive. They don't dress right. But Peter's saying, what this is really about is their hearts. 
Peter asks a great question in verse 10. So why? Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Peter's saying, I grew up Jewish and it, it wasn't easy. It, isn't it true? Isn't it true that our yoke is hard to bear? Guys, guys, have you ever have you ever broken the law? Of course, we've all sinned. We've all broken the law. Look, Jewish friends, we don't even keep the law. So why would why would we want to put that on people who didn't grow up like us, Jewish? Verse 11. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. I think it's important for all of us to understand. God can purify a heart before he can purify a life. God can purify a heart before you drop that habit. God can purify your heart before you admit that you have some insecurities that drive you to do things and maybe look at things that you might be ashamed of. If he could do that for you, he can do that for the people around you, but don't forget it's a process. At the end of this message stands James the brother of Jesus. He says in verse 19, and so my judgment, he's kind of wrapping this whole meeting up. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This should be repeated because I think it's so important. James says, guys, I know we have commandments and I know sometimes it's going to get messy. Bottom line, we should not make it difficult for those turning to God. Anything that makes it difficult for people, we should remove it. Because if we don't remove it, we are getting in the way of God. James continues in verse 20. Instead, we should write them. We should write them to tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Now, can you imagine the guy who's taking notes? (laughs) He's got, okay, number one, abstain food tainted by idols. Okay, got that. Don't drink blood. That's kind of gross. And avoid animals. Okay, that's got number two. What Number three, abstain from sexual morality. You know, James, they're going to have some questions about this. Uh, you want to explain that one? No? Oh, okay. Okay, James, what's the fourth? I've got a lot of parchment paper here. This stuff is expensive. James, um, just, you know, you know, Moses had 10 uh, and we've got 613 and there's, there's only three here. James, He really simplified things to evaluate ourselves, didn't he, on how to get in with a show of hands. uh, How many struggle with food tainted by idols? How about drinking blood and animals that have been strangled? How about sexual immorality? Okay, you don't have to answer that one. But you might be thinking, we're missing some things. You know, what about lying and cheating? And James would say, we're probably missing a lot of things. But we got to remember, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We'll we'll work on the other stuff as we go on, as we grow. Come on in, join the church. This, this is a big deal. I know, every local church faces insider issues. But the bottom line, James is saying, don't make it difficult for those who are turning to God. To wrap up today. In light of all this, I want to talk about three things, three things that I think our church has been really good at, at not making it difficult for those turning to God. These are things we should fight to keep so we continue to not make it difficult for those who are coming to Jesus. I really believe our first 30 years have been strong. 
But as we continue to get older, every church gets these insider issues that can distract us. So here's the first thing. First thing I want us to do is to continue to stay focused on, on those on the outside instead of catering to those on the inside. Every church over time drifts towards insiders. You know, you know the people who know the songs or what door to come into or how to sign their kids up for kids' church or what's the shortest line for koinonia. Let me, let me tell you a secret. Uh, I, can tell, I can tell if you're insider-focused just or in, outsider-focused or insider-focused just by listening to what you complain about. Because if it's a change and it's how it's affecting you or what you're losing or what you don't like, <laughs> that's a good sign the church has become all about you. And don't forget, last week we saw that the church was started for people who don't come yet. As I read the Gospels, it always amazes me that the people who shouldn't like Jesus like Jesus. The tax collectors, the sinners, were attracted to Jesus. Jesus hung out with them all the time. God has always been outsider-focused. For God so loved the world, the people who didn't even know him, he gave his son for the people who didn't know him. And we can't love the world if we don't care for those who live in the world. So stay, stay focused on those on the outside. Second, continue to lean into grace instead of focusing on the rules. One of the things I've heard over and over again about our church is that we are full of grace. I've heard this time and time again. If we're going to err, err on the side of grace. And Aren't you glad that God erred on grace on your, in your situation? Aren't you glad that he didn't say, hey, figure out the 613 laws and call me when you're done? But we, we like rules because we know what to do. If someone does this, we react this way. It's cut and dry. We, we like policies. We, we know how to act or react. We, we love categories too, don't we? But Jesus focused a lot on grace. Now, Jesus runs into Matthew, a tax collector. <laughs> the law said, don't have a conversation with them. Category, tax collector. Policy, don't socially talk with them. Someone might have asked Jesus, do you know where it's going to lead you if you talk to the tax collector? And Jesus would have said, yeah, it's going to lead me into their lives, <laughs> into their house. And wait, wait, Jesus, that's, that's even worse. <laughs> they were thinking law, not grace. Jesus didn't put them into categories. He had conversations with them. He had relationship with them. He was filled with grace towards people, no matter what their background was. And this, this is what the local church should do. Now, we know rules are important, but what if we totally didn't get all the rules, but we valued relationships more? Let's lean into grace before the rules. And the last one, Let's keep trying new things instead of preserving the past. 30 years ago, when our church started, I would call us cutting edge. We were doing things that other churches weren't doing. When our church was started, pretty much every church in our denomination was running Sunday night services. We said, we're not going to do that. Because we knew. We knew we had, we had so many times we could ask people to be a part of a church event. Instead of giving them something just like Sunday morning, we wanted to offer you something else. We wanted you to get into groups. We know that circles are better than rows. Circles, circles are where you really get to know one another, care for one another, where you can pray for one another. 
we, we didn't want our church to be tied up with churchy stuff. <laughs> so think about it. Maybe a tactic of the enemy is if he can't get you to give up on Jesus, maybe he can make you busy in your church so you have no influence on your world. And we know that to reach people who have never been reached, we have to learn to do things we've never done. We will never win our city if we're busy doing things in our building. I want to be a church that tries new things and not just to keep things going because we've always done them. So let's be the church that focuses on those on the outside and leans into grace and keeps trying new things. Let me pray for you today. Father, we are so grateful that you are such a loving God who's full of grace. And God, I'm so glad that you did not make the bar so high that none of us could get into a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be people who, who are just so open and willing to start these relationships with people who, who want to meet them where they're at and walk with them to come and know Jesus in a very real way. So Lord, help this to be one of the things that rings through our church. Help, it, help us not to be, make things difficult for those who are coming to Christ. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for our last 30 years. God, I pray that we will continue to do this in our next 30 years. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next time. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Alder Grove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 10.30. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscc.ca slash give. See you later.